Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Deering Center Community Church. We want to welcome you uh, here and for those of you who are at home. Today's uh, sermon title is called um, Being Desperate, and I know that in my life I've had those desperate moments, and I know you have too. So um, we're waiting to hear how Pastor Don is going to be able to solve all of our problems. <laughs> So praise God. If you would all stand up and sing um, with me, Ancient of Days.
into the presence of God and worship him and give thanks to him for everything that he blesses us with. And at this time, in fact, we uh, take our offering and our offering, for those of you who have been with us for a while, you know that it's at the back of the church. But as uh, that's about to be prayed for, I just want to take a moment for those of you, uh, particularly those of you worshiping with us for the first time, or those of you watching online for the first time, there is a tear-off card at the back of your bulletin. It looks like this. And we'd encourage you to fill that out with your information. And then there's a little checkbox that says, I would like to receive church emails. And if you do that, you'll get a weekly email update as to all that's going on in the life and ministry of our church. But at the same time, we are challenged by God, in fact, to continually grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. So if you look on the back, you'll see that uh, you have opportunities to do exactly that. If you need to be baptized, check that off. Or maybe you need to join the church, check that off. Or if you need to see the pastor or one of the deacons or elders, uh, whatever you need, check that off. And then you have the opportunity down bottom here to fill out any prayer requests that you might have. So we would encourage you to do that because we have a very powerful and faithful group of people that gather, particularly on Tuesday nights, and they pray for these prayer requests, but praying for everybody in general as well as our neighborhood and our city and the world. So we would uh, encourage you to take that uh, opportunity to fill those things out. In the meantime, I'm going to ask one of our worship band members if they'd be willing to uh, ask a blessing on the offering. Dear Lord, we thank you for these tithes and offerings today. We thank you for the grace that you've given each and every one of us for a chance to become more like you. And we thank you for all the blessings that you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And speaking of prayer, let's do that. Let's bow our hearts before God. God, we are so deeply grateful for your presence with us today, your power, your presence, your love, your grace, the promises that wherever two or more are gathered in your name that you would be, be there also. So we know that you're here today, God and that you love us and you care for us. And you're deeply concerned for our concerns. That as we lift our voices in prayer, not only do you hear our prayers, you delight in answering those things, those deep needs that are in each and every one of our hearts. So thank you, God. Thank you for that extraordinary lo love that you have for each and every one of us. And that love works through you to us and through us to others. 
So we thank you that we can pray for those in need. We want to pray for those in our church family, but we want to pray for those that are outside of our church family, people that are going through trials and difficulties and need our prayers. So this morning, we want to pray for uh, Keith Johns this morning. Father, he's uh, thanking you, rejoicing. Uh, he's been out on the streets, living on the streets, but now you've provided him a home, and he has a place to live now. And so, God, we pray for Keith. We pray that you would bless that home and that he would continue to walk in faith and trust in you. We pray for Cheryl Graney this morning, Lord, as uh, she is making her way through that battle with cancer. Thank you that the uh, doctors are ministering to her and um, that her procedures have gone well. And now, Father, we pray that that cancer will be completely and thoroughly eradicated from her body once and for all, forever. We pray for the Godbolt family this morning, Lord. I know that that family in particular is very precious in your sight. They're a family in Florida, and uh, they have dedicated their entire lives to serving you as uh, a pastor and minister in Africa and throughout the United States. And now, um, Mr. God Reverend Godbolt has gone home to be with you, Lord. And he is... He is celebrating right now. I know that his family is heartbroken. They miss him. But I also know he doesn't want to come back because he is in your presence. And God, that's what we all look forward to. Someday we will be in your presence forever and ever. Amen. Because of our trust and faith in you. We'll leave this crazy, broken world behind us and we'll be with you forever and ever. Thank you, Lord. We continue to pray for our sister Priscilla Bushy. She has some procedures that are coming up August 20th and uh, we know that there's some concerns there, but God, you are sovereign, you're in control, you watch over your children, and so we just pray that you would lift any um, anxiety, any concerns that Priscilla and George have, and just grant them the peace that transcends all understanding. We pray for Jack Keeley this morning, Lord, we're celebrating that he's gotten through three of uh, five steps in a job interview, and so we pray that these next two uh, portions of that interview will go exceptionally well. He wants that job. It's in his wheelhouse. It'll do exceptionally well. So we pray that uh, everything will come together and that he and that job will bring glory to you. We pray for Howard Doucette Jr. this morning, Lord, as he is in the hospital and uh, he's facing challenges, Lord. But we thank you that he's got uh, a dad and a stepmom that love him and a family that loves him, praying for him. We want to pray for him too, Lord that he's going to come through everything exceptionally well, and he'll be back on his feet very, very soon. We pray for Reverend um, Charles Hurst, his family. Uh, Reverend Hurst has gone home to be with you as well, Lord, and we know that his family and all of those that he's impacted throughout the years and years and years of ministry are grieving over his loss, and so we pray for them to comfort them and bless them, encourage them, but we also know that that uh, they know that he's home free with you forever. So what a celebration it's going to be. And we pray for Bruce Wakefield this morning, Lord. Bruce has had a stroke. And we just pray, Father, that everything in that stroke will be completely and thoroughly reversed. Uh, we pray and speak life into his brain where there's been damage and strength back into, and mobility back into his arm where he's lost. And we pray encouragement into uh, Bruce's heart and life. And we pray, Father, that that his recovery will be exceptionally uh, uh, excellent and that he will be back on his feet very, very soon as well. In the meantime, Lord, we pray for this neighborhood. We pray for the neighborhood, for our city. 
Uh, there's so many broken lives, so many people struggling in all kinds of different ways. Uh, there's so many people in recovery houses all around this church, Lord, struggling with drugs and alcohol and recovering. And we just pray, uh, Father, that your spirit would be upon them, that you would touch the hearts and lives of people who do not know you as Lord and Savior, that uh, the schools will be opening up very, very soon. We pray for the children, their parents, and, and that you, God, the Spirit of God, would be just upon this neighborhood, upon the city. We desperately need you, God. So we thank you for these things, Lord, and we pray for them by faith and in confidence in Jesus and in his wonderful name. We thank you. Amen and amen. Amen. Hey, would you stand with us and let's sing together, We Believe. Yeah. 
Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit and he's given us new life. We believe in the crucifixion. We believe that he Thank you. You may be seated. Well, that's good news. He's coming back again. So consequently, we believe. So we're so glad that you're with us this morning. And this morning, as it was mentioned earlier, we're going to talk about uh, being desperate. Now, what we're going to learn is that when we are desperate, what we're looking, really looking for is life, and quite frankly, the author of life. There's many different situations in life where people are desperate. Some people are desperately lonely. Some people are desperate for money. Some people are desperately depressed. There's all kinds of different scenarios where in life we become desperate. It's no fun. Nobody wants to go through it, but it's part of life. It's part of, part of, uh, of uh, the, the suffering that we go through in life. If you think of... Uh, you think of three very well-known people, Bill Gates of Microsoft, or, uh, Bill, or uh, Jeff Bezos of Amazon, or maybe Warren Buffett, the great magnet of Wall Street. You wouldn't think of any of those three personalities ever being in despair, or ever being desperate, because they have everything that they possibly would want or need, and anything they, that they don't have or want, they can simply buy it. But if you think about this, Take any one of the three of those personalities out of their environment and you place them in a place like the desert for maybe a week or two weeks or whatever it might be. In a short amount of time, they would become desperate. Over a period of time, they would be in despair. And I can guarantee you that they would be willing to sell everything they have, give away everything they have for just one glass of water because that one glass of water would grant them life. It would sa save their lives. So as we think about the times in life when we are desperate, what we want to recognize and realize is that what's behind it all is we have a, a desperate need for life and ultimately for the author of life. Now we're going to see a passage this morning. We're going to go back to the Gospel of Matthew, and we're going to meet two people that in their life, at the point in their lives, they were very, very desperate, and they were willing to do whatever it was going to take that their needs would be met. But we'll also see at the same time that these two very, very desperate people, what they truly needed wasn't necessarily what they were going after. What they truly needed was life and the author of life. And that's true of us. In, in times of our lives, we begin to learn to step back and begin to realize, though we're at a, at a position in our lives where we, we don't know where to turn to, we don't know what to do, we're desperate, whatever it might be, through that, what we're desperate for is life and the author of life. So let's do that. Let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 9 this morning. We'll go back and pick it up where we left it off last week. And if you're willing and able, would you please stand for the reading of the Word of God? Matthew. 
Matthew tells us that as Jesus was saying this, the leader of a synagogue came and knelt before him. My daughter has just died, he said, but you can bring her back to life if you just come and lay your hand on her. So Jesus and his disciples got up and went with him. Just then, a woman who had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding came up behind him. She touched the fringe of his robe, for she thought, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, Daughter, be encouraged. Your faith has made you well. And the woman was healed at that moment. When Jesus arrived at the official's home, he saw the noisy crowd and heard the funeral music. Get out, he told them. The girl isn't dead, she's only asleep. But the crowd laughed at him. After the crowd was put outside, however, Jesus went in and took the girl by the hand, and she stood up. The report of this miracle swept through the entire countryside. Let's pray. God, we thank you that in life there are times when we are plain and simply desperate. We're in despair. But we thank you at the same time you are sovereign, you're in control, you love us, and that we can learn to see through all of the chaos, see through all of the trials and the troubles, and we can see you because you are not only life, you're the author of life. So help us to see that, that it might encourage us, strengthen us, build us up, but that we might be instruments in your hands to be people that bring that hope and life to others. So we thank you, Lord. We pray that you bless your word and bless your people. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So being desperate, we all know it's no fun. We don't want to go through those things because as we go through those things, we feel helpless and we feel hopeless. But at the same time, when we read the word of God, meditate on the word of God, we can begin to see that those times of desperation, those times that we're desperate in life, actually... They can, they can turn out to be a blessing because through those things, what God can help us see is life itself and, and the author of life. So that, in fact, it can strengthen us and it can help us see that uh, we're not only the people of God, but we're people who can be instruments of God for, those, for others that are suffering and going through desperation. So there's three simple things this morning that I want us to consider as we think about, meditate on the words that uh, Matthew has shared with us this morning particularly when it comes to desperation, the first thing is this. If you get your outline uh, in front of you, when we're in desperation, that is the opportunity, the possibility for a great motivation. So write that down for me, if you would. Great motivation. Now, in times when we're desperate, we don't know what to do, we don't know where to turn, that can actually be a time for a motivation in our lives. I want you to listen to the words that Mark tells us in Mark chapter 4, a very famous passage. Uh, Jesus said to the disciples uh, there in Galilee, he said, we're going to go to the other side to the, uh, of the, the lake. And if he says we're going to go to the other, other side, no matter what happens in between, we're going to get there. But in the meantime, if you know the story, there was a raging storm that suddenly came up. And here's what, uh, here's what unfolds. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him shouting, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? Now, they were absolutely, positively desperate. And in their desperation, they turned to the author of life, Jesus. Because they were motivated. They wanted to live. Nobody wants to die in these uh, times of desperation. We all want to live. And so what we do is we learn to turn to the one that provides life, who is the author of life. 
And so when they were in a trial, they knew what to do. They knew to, knew to turn to Jesus. Now what Matthew helps us see in this passage, two people are very, very desperate in, in, at particular times in their lives. And the first one is a man, his name, Matthew doesn't tell us. In fact, he excludes all the details. Luke and Mark tell us the details. His name is Jairus. He's a synagogue ruler, so he oversaw the local synagogue. He would have been a man of integrity to, to do what he was called to do, but he was absolutely positive, positively desperate because his precious daughter had just died. And that's what Matthew tells us. Listen to the words. Uh, as Jesus was saying this, the leader of the synagogue came and knelt before him, and he said, My daughter has just died, but you can bring her back to life again if you just come and lay your hand upon her. Now, in particular, we know that this man was desperate because there's two, two things that, if we know a little bit about history, know a little bit about the culture, we'll know that he was very, very desperate because, number one, he was a man of integrity, and as a man of integrity, this, something he would never do is he would never kneel down. He had a position in culture, a position in life, but because he's desperate, he goes after this itinerant rab rabbi and he kneels before him. Nobody of his position would ever dream of doing something like that. In fact, it, it can cause you to think of the father and the prodigal son. He begins to run after his son. No father would do that in that culture, would go after a son that had been uh, rebellious against him. So number one, we know he's desperate. Number two, we know that he would have been interacting, because of his position, he would have been interacting with the scribes and the Pharisees, and to go after this rabbi would have infuriated them. Because we already see in the Gospel of Jesus that they, they are developing a passionate hatred for Jesus. But despite that, because he's desperate, he throws all of that to the wayside because he needs life for his daughter. Now what he does is extraordinary. He declares that his, his, his daughter is dead. But he says to Jesus, by faith, you can come back to her, you can touch her, and if you touch her, she will come alive once again. Now that is extraordinary. But Matthew wants you and me to be thinking collectively between chapter 8 and chapter 10. If you remember a few weeks ago, Matthew told us about the, the centurion. The centurion was a Gentile, a pagan, didn't know anything about God, but he came to Jesus, and when he came to Jesus, he said, my servant is about to die. He, he's sick and he's dying. And Jesus said, I will come to him. But he said, no, I'm not worthy for you to enter into my house. If you would only say the word, my servant would be healed. And that's exactly what happened. Now, the synagogue ruler, a Jewish man, he had faith, but he didn't have the faith of the centurion. Extraordinary faith. And it's a practical faith that in a time of crisis, in a time of desperation, they're turning to Jesus with confidence, knowing that if he touches or he speaks the word, that the people that they love will be healed. They'll come back to life. Now, wherever you and I are on the spectrum, whether we've got a lot of faith, or like Jesus says, the faith of a grain of mustard seed, the important thing is that we have faith. A practical faith that will motivate us in the times of despair, in the times of chaos, to go to the author of life, to go to Jesus, to turn to him and exercise that faith and believe 
beyond a shadow of a doubt that he's going to deliver us. He's going to bring us through whatever it is that we're facing at that time. But there's one more thing that we want to see in, in the beginning of this passage when it comes to motivation. In verse 19, it says, So Jesus and his disciples got up and went with him. Now that's a minor detail, but, <clears throat> excuse me, once again, Matthew has eliminated all the details, but he keeps this particular detail in. He keeps it in because what the Gospels are all about, what the Bible is all about, is God developing people who believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior into disciples of Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples. So these disciples go with Jesus because they're going to witness what he is about to do. And God's call upon your life and my life is that we would be motivated in our hearts, motivated in our lives, motivated by reading and studying the Word of God, worshiping God, serving God, so that we can be instruments, we can be disciples that God can use in the hearts and lives of people that, in our, that are in despair all around us. So God wants us to be motivated. He wants us to be motivated particularly in the times of despair. Secondly, in times of despair, he wants us to understand that desperation can be our great revelation. So if you've got a pencil, would you write that down as well? You see, <clears throat> we are convinced, once again, that our lives are 90, 95% in the natural realm. In other words, we operate by, by uh, what we see, what we feel, what we touch, what we taste, what we smell. The, the five senses. That's our life, how we live our lives. But once you come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, what God is, is weaning us off is the things of this world, so that we will become more and more walking by faith, walking by the Spirit that we will see things through God's eyes and less and less through our eyes. And to do that, God has to bring a revelation to our spirit. He has to reveal to us what he is doing in us, through us, and around us to people all around us. And in fact, listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Extraordinary, but very strange passage. Listen to what he says. This boasting will do no good, but I must go on. I will reluctantly tell about visions and, here's your word, revelations, from the Lord. I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. Only God knows. Yes, only God knows whether I was in my body or outside my body. But I do know that I was caught up to paradise and heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words, things no human is allowed to tell. So Paul was swept up into the spiritual because God was using him to live in the spiritual while he walked the face of the earth training him, teaching him. That's what God is doing in your life and my life, that we would see our lives and the world around us through God's eyes more and more, because God wants to reveal to us what he's doing in life, our lives and life through us to others around us. So consequently, listen to this. In verse uh, 20, Matthew tells us, Just then a woman who had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding came up behind him. She touched the fringe of his robe, for she thought, If I can just touch his robe... I will be healed. Now, this woman was desperate. She was in despair. Her life was broken. It was isolated. She had an issue of blood, uh, not on a monthly basis. It was an issue of blood that was on steroids. This had, been, this had been going on for years and years and years. And so consequently, what she was in the Jewish tradition, she was ritually impure. And what that meant was 
that she could not go into the presence of God and worship God. She couldn't go into the synagogue. She couldn't go into the temple. But not only that, because she was continuously impure, uh, she would defile others if they touched her or she touched them. So we can imagine what her life was like. It was lonely. It was discouraged. It was broken. Uh, Mark and Luke uh, tell us that she had spent all her money on doctors, but none of them could help her. So what we need to understand, in the Jewish tradition, she was ritually impure. She couldn't, primarily, she couldn't go into the presence of God, and because of that, she was an isolated person. But despite that, she takes an incredible risk, and she goes and touches people on her way through and touches, grabs the fringe of his robe, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But what God wants to help, help us understand, that he wants to bring a revelation to us as according to her condition to help us understand what's going on in the power of the author of life. And how we understand this, in Leviticus chapter 15, uh, Moses spells it out about being ritually impure. And basically what is happening is this. When we read that, we think, God, how can you be so unfair? In other words, just because a woman, or even a man, has, has omissions or whatever, just because of normal things that happen in the human body, you're excluding them from your presence and excluding them from the community of faith. That's just not fair. But that's not what's happening. What God is doing is giving us them and giving us a, a very deep revelation. Here's what it is. First of all, that they need to understand, and you and I need to understand, that God is life itself. God is the author of life. And for us to go into the presence of the author of life, there has to be something that dies on our behalf. And that's what they had to do. They had to bring an offering. So something has to die on our behalf so that we can go into the presence of the holiness of God. Now, when a person gets cut, or when a, a, a woman has a, a process of life, or even a man, that life is a representation of life itself. Listen to what God says in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11. Some people call this the John 3:16 of the Old Testament. God says this, For the life of the body is in the blood. I have given you the blood on the altar to purify you, making you right with the Lord. It is the blood given in exchange for a life. That makes purification possible. So that whenever we bleed... What's happening is, that is life. That's what sustains life. So life is pouring out of us. That's what makes us ritually impure. So if that's happening in a woman's life or a man's life, that's a picture of life pouring out of us, and we can't go into the presence of life, God the author of life, until something dies on our behalf. So it begins to make sense. What God is teaching us is that he is holy, he is righteous, you and I cannot go into his presence unless something dies on our behalf to make us holy and make us righteous. And that's exactly what Jesus did on a cross 2,000 years ago. So this picture of this woman's despair was that she wanted to be in the presence of God, but she couldn't be in the presence of God until somebody made it possible. Now, what happens is this. She touches the fringe of his robe. Now, I brought... To give you an idea, I brought a robe. This is something that I purchased in Israel a couple of years ago. And this is what every a Jewish man was to wear in the days of Jesus, and they still do. It's called a prayer shawl, and it goes over your shoulders. And then when a Jewish man prays, he covers himself by lifting it up over his head. But what I want to point out to you is this. 
At the bottom of the prayer shawl, you can see that there are four tassels, two on either side. And that's a represent representation of north, south, east, and west. But it's also a reminder to every good Jewish man, every pious Jewish man, that he was to be obeying the commands of God. Now this woman, Matthew tells us very clearly that she wanted to grab his robe, grab the fringes, and that's what she was going for, one of those four tassels, because she knew if I just touch the tassels, I will be healed. And you think, where did she come up with that? Well, she came up with that because she knew the word of God, and she knew the revelation of God, particularly at a time when she was in utter despair. I want you to hear what the word of God says in Malachi chapter 4, verse 2. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in his wings, the four wings of his, of his, of his robe. And you will go free, leaping with joy like calves let out to pasture. You see, she knew the word of God. She knew the revelation of God. She knew that this man must be the promised Messiah. And if I just touch those fringes, Messiah will bring healing to me. In her despair, what was she looking for? She was looking for life. And she knew that she had found the author of life in Messiah, Jesus. So God wants to bring that revelation to you and me in our lives. But listen to this. It doesn't stop there. Matthew tells us that he turns, Jesus turns, and when he sees her, he says, Daughter, be encouraged. Your faith has made you well. Now think about that for a moment. At the beginning of this passage, Jairus came to Jesus and he said, My daughter has just died. One of the most precious things in his life was his daughter. One of the most precious things in my life is my daughter, my grandchildren, uh, any one of my children, my in-laws. And I would be heartbroken, you would be heartbroken, you would be crushed if one of your children suddenly died. He was desperate for her to come back to life. When this woman was healed, Jesus turned and he said, my daughter. Listen, friends, this is amazing. What it's teaching us is that God is desperate for you and me. The moment that we trust in him as Lord and Savior, we become his children, his sons and his daughters. He's desperate for us. He loves us passionately. For those who do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior, he wants them to come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior so they will be his children, his sons and daughters. But that's a revelation. It's a revelation that God gives to us because we are born again of the Spirit. So that not only we will look to him in the times of stress and strain and desperation, and that he would bring us healing, but in our healing, we would believe and understand that we are instruments of healing for others that are in desperation. Because what this is all about, finally, is our great liberation. You see, Jesus is the great liberator. He's the, he's the one that comes to set you and me free. And Matthew is teaching that over and over in each and every one of these passages. Listen to what, Jesus, what uh, John tells us in John 11, verse 44. Four. This is the story you're all familiar with, that uh, Lazarus was dead. Jesus raises him to life. And listen to what Jesus says. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. You see, he was dead. But the author of life came. 
And because the author of life was present and called him out, he suddenly came alive. But once he came alive, Jesus' command was to those around him, take off the grave clothes. He was still encumbered by the, the element of death. And he needed people, people that cared for him, people that loved him, to take off those grave clothes so that he would be ultimately set free. God sets us free when we trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. But there are times we're in despair. And those times that we're in despair, we need each other. And people that don't know Jesus, they need us. That we might understand that we've been liberated by the love of Jesus so that we become instruments of Jesus to liberate others. And that's what we see in this final part of the passage in verse 23. When Jesus arrived at the official's home, he saw the noisy crowd, heard the funeral music, and he says, get out! The girl isn't dead, she's only asleep. But the crowd laughed at him, the crowd mocked him. Now, in those days, it was incumbent upon, even if you were extremely poor, it was expected that you would hire people that would, professional mourners, they would come in. If your loved one died, you were obligated to hire, find whatever money you could, to, to hire people that would come in and begin to mourn with you. And you still see that today in the Middle East in, in different cultures. But the problem is this. What it does is it, it, it celebrates death. And the reality is we live in a culture that constantly celebrates death, celebrates death on TV, celebrates death in the movies, celebrates death all around us in the things that we do and believe and the things that we say. But thanks be to God that Jesus is the author of life. And when Jesus stepped onto the scene, he said, get out. I'll have none, none of this. Get away from this. Because once again, he is the power of life, the author of life. He is God Almighty in the flesh. But they were mocking him. They were ridiculing him. And they were doing that because they were getting to know who he was. And they hated him. And they mocked him. And, and they laughed at him. And they were mocking him and laughing at him because basically what they were saying is this. You're too late. You're supposed to be this guy that can heal people and speak your word and touch people and all of these things, but you're too late. Where were you when this synagogue leader needed you? And so many times, uh, that's what people think of Jesus. And a lot of times, if we're honest with ourselves, that's what we think of Jesus. In the times of despair, those times when we're desperate, and things don't happen the way we expect them or the way that we want them to happen, we say, we don't want to say it out loud, we don't want to have anybody here, here that we would believe this, but we say, Jesus, where were you when I needed you? You've abandoned me. How can I trust you in those times? Well, it says in verse 23, after the crowd was put outside, Jesus went inside. You see, in the times of despair, what we learn to do is take a step back and say, yeah, these are the things that I think, these are the things that I feel, but these are not the things that are true. And these are the things that we have to put on the outside so that we can allow Jesus to come onto the inside. Because when we allow Jesus to come to the inside, that's when he begins to do the healing that he wants to do in our lives. And listen to what happens next. Jesus went in, took the girl by the hand, and she stood up. <laughs> Hallelujah! 
That's, once again, resurrection words. She stood up. She was dead. Now she's alive. In his desperation, by faith, he believed that Jesus could bring her back to life because he is the author of life. You see, in our desperate, the times that we're desperate, we don't know what to do, we don't know where to turn because of the circumstances, the situation of life, what we're really looking for is life itself. We're looking for, we need the author of life. No matter what it is that you're going through, you and I need to learn what it is to see through all of that and understand that the author of life is not far from us. He's with us. He cares for us. He loves us, and he will see us through. So what is it that you and I need to do? Well, a couple of things. If you look at the bottom of your outline, first of all, when we are desperate, and if you are not desperate now, probably it's coming, it's on the horizon, it happens to everybody. In those times when we are being desperate, when we are desperate, when we don't know what to do, there's some practical things that we can do. First and foremost, it's the power of the Word of God. Uh, when our kids were growing up and they were going through trials and difficulties, we taught them certain pas- to memorize certain passages in the Word of God. One of them was Isaiah uh, 41.10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will help you and strengthen you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So when you're in despair, you don't know what to do, remember that verse and remind you that God is there to encourage you. He is going to see you through. So this morning I've given you a simple verse. You can look it up or you can keep this uh, outline and memorize it yourself. So in in those times, uh, here's what the, the psalmist said. Here's what King David said. Then call on me when you are in trouble, when you're in despair. I will rescue you and you will give me glory. So in the times of despair, actually there are opportunities for God to help us give him glory so that others around us will see that he's working in our lives. So we don't have to fall apart. We can trust him. We can know that he's there in those times of despair. So we need to be different because what God wants for you and me, the second thing is that we would be ready. We would be ready because we've got family members, we've got friends, we've got co-workers, uh, we've got uh, people that we go to school with, we've got people all around us that for one reason or another, they are in despair. They're desperate. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to turn. They don't know where to go. And God has placed us in their lives so that we can be instruments of what God wants to do in their lives. So I want you to listen to what Paul teaches us in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. And in fact, these are some of the very last words that Paul speaks while he's on this planet Earth, and he's encouraging a young pastor by the name of Timothy. And he says this, All Scripture is inspired by God, or God breathed, and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. So that's the power of the Word of God. That's why we have got to be investing our lives in the Word of God, because the Word of God, once again, that's the supernatural power of God while we're in this physical realm, so that our lives are lived out more and more by faith in God, in us, around us, working through us. Then he says this, God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. God wants to do good work in the lives of people around us so that they will believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior, but they've got to see that it's something that's real. 
Something that is not fake and phony. They've got to see it in our lives. So, when we go through the times of despair, when we go through the times of trial, it's an opportunity for God to shine his light through us to the world around us so that we can be an instrument that God can use to touch the hearts and lives of others. So being desperate, it's no fun. Nobody wants to go through those, those times of desperation. But as we mature, we, we can begin to see over and over, it's an opportunity for God to lead us to life, the author of life, so he can use us for others. There was a guy named uh, Ashton Smith, and he's uh, uh, English, 33-year-old 33, 33 guy. He was actually a professor at, uh, not at Harvard, but uh, at the uh, Cambridge in, uh, in England. And he was at the Isle of Wight one day in his kayak, and he was going into treacherous waters, and his kayak suddenly flipped. And his life was, he was just barely able to hang on to the kayak. He knew he was going to drown. But with his other hand, he was able to get his cell phone out. And the first person that he thought to call was his father. So he rang his father. His father was 3,200 miles away in Dubai. He was uh, training uh, English uh, soldiers in Dubai. And the first thing that his father did was relay his son's call to the Coast Guard. The Coast Guard, as it turned out, was uh, less than two miles away. And in less than 12 minutes, they were there and they rescued him. They took him out of the water. But when he was in despair, the first thing that came through his mind was to contact his father. Because he knew that his father was going to be able to help him to save his life. In those times that you and I are desperate, that you and I are in despair, we don't know what to do. We don't know where to turn. What God wants us to do is to go to the author of life, Jesus. Because he promises he will bring us through. Not only for us, but for people around us. Let's pray. God, we praise you. We thank you that Jesus is the author of life. Oh, my word, Lord. And so many times when we're in despair, we don't know what to do. We don't know what direction to go in. We're heartbroken. God, we pray in those times that you, Holy Spirit, would visit us in a powerful, powerful way. Because what, we're, what we need, what we're looking for, we, times we don't even realize that what we're looking for is life itself, and Jesus is that life. So God, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you are our strength, you're our hope, you're our encouragement. And this morning I pray right now, Lord, I can almost guarantee that there are people in this sanctuary right now that are people watching online. Right now, they're desperate. They're going through things that they never imagined would happen to them. They don't know what to do. So right now I pray for them, God. I pray that you would speak into their hearts that that fear and anxiety would begin to, it would begin to reside, that your peace would begin to overtake them, that you would help them understand and realize that you're with them, you love them, you're for them, you're not against them, and that you would encourage them, Lord, and that they would know that, that they're going to come through. You're going to come through. And so, God, in all of those things, we pray that we would become more and more disciples of Jesus. 
so that we can help others become disciples of Jesus. So God, we thank you for these things, and we pray for them in Jesus' powerful name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. In a moment, we're going to invite you to stand and sing with us. We're going to sing a great old song, I'll Fly Away. But, but before we do that, if you're going through a trial right now and you would like somebody to pray for you, as we sing the song, what we'd encourage you to do is to come forward and uh, somebody's going to pray for you. Those of you online, watching online, you can take this opportunity. Uh, if you're on Facebook, you can, you can write out what your prayer request is. Maybe you're watching on the website. Scroll down on the website. Uh, you can write out your prayer request, whatever it might be, and somebody will call you, get in contact with you, and they'll pray for you. But you have an opportunity this morning to, uh, as you stand up, and as we sing this song, to come forward, and we would love to, uh, love to pray for you. So join us. Would you stand up together? <coughs>
Spirit of God. Thank you, Father, for that promise that you give us that we will be meeting you someday. Lord, please go with us as we leave this room and take your presence with us. Father, I ask you to remind us of Psalm 5015. Then call on me when you are in trouble, and I will rescue you, and you will give the glory. Father, let us continue to look to you in the hills and in the valleys of our lives. And thank you this morning for the sunshine and for your presence in your precious, precious son's name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Have a great day.